Welcome to The Age of Trust, a special podcast series brought to you by Verizon that explores how we are securing our future for the fourth industrial revolution, with knowledge becoming critical to Australia's international economic strength. This podcast series explores themes that challenge the productivity of knowledge workers with secure and reliable communications. We discover the explosion in remote working and connectivity and how organizations will need to manage, secure, protect and organize intangible assets such as systems, processes, IP, data, personal information, corporate information and even competitive knowledge. Get ready for the new age of trust by Verizon. the Age of Trust podcast. Cybersecurity is a hot topic in Australia right now, and we've seen lots of discussions in the media about where Australia sits from a cybersecurity perspective. And this was really brought sharply into focus with Prime Minister Scott Morrison's press conference a number of weeks ago in Canberra, talking about an elevation of cyber attacks to Australian businesses and citizens, and a call for further action and clarity in this area. Also, about this time, the Verizon Business Group released its data breach investigation report for 2020. It's the 13th year in a row that Verizon has been undertaking this research, and it's considered an incredibly important piece of long-term data that shares insights into data breach investigations across the world. In today's discussion, we really want to look at some of the current themes in the cybersecurity landscape in Australia, as well as how that marries up to the data breach investigation report. What are we seeing locally? What are people doing well? What are people doing not so well? And how overall can business and government further collaborate to really make sure that we're maintaining cyber resilient posture when it comes to Australian business, government, and of course, citizens. So joining me today is Commander Chris Goldsmith. Chris is the Cybercrime Operations Commander for the Australian Federal Police, or the AFP. He's responsible for cybercrime operations. And really, that unit is there to enhance the AFP's cyber capabilities and investigate cybercrimes against the Commonwealth Government. And this includes critical infrastructure and other key systems of national significance. I'm also delighted to welcome Prescott Pym, the Operations Director of Network Security at Verizon Business Group. Prescott leads the Asia-Pacific Security Operations Centre, which is affectionately known as the SOC, and the one in Canberra is one of nine around the world. As well as the SOC, Prescott leads a large team of experts that provide security, analytics and infrastructure management to global customers, and I'd like to welcome both of you to today's discussion. Thank you, Kari. Thanks very much. I thought I might just ask both of you about what a day-to-day looks like, both from the Security Operations Centre, why is it important, why do we have one in Australia, what it looks like in a global context, and then to you, Commander Goldsmith, about what the AFP's role is from a cybercrime perspective on a a day-to-day basis. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Corey. So I think it's useful to frame it in the NIST framework from when we're talking about what's the role of a Security Operations Centre. So we sort of talk about, you know, identify, protect, detect, respond, as the key sort of life cycles for managing security events. So the Security Operations Centre sort of plays in the middle of that, acting as a bit of a coordination point, whether that's actually detection of the events is core for what the team does, but also how do we work with the prevention, getting those protective mechanisms in place for our customers, and then moving into the response and helping them to react and remediate those going forwards. And as I say, that's one of nine around the world. And how do they work together and why is it important as nine? And obviously why Canberra and why Australia? 
<laughs> I guess at Verizon, from a security operations perspective, we have a global follow the sun capability. So we have analysts in the US, Asia Pacific, and Europe. And it depends on the customer environment, but we can carry those operations around the globe. Alternatively, here in Australia, for instance, and in the US, we do quite a lot of work with the federal government. So we need to have those 24 by 7 you know, in-country uh, security cleared people who work with other agencies like the AFP and you know, help to protect the, the local industry. So that's why I've got some of these sort of pockets of self-contained socks. But uh, the great thing about it is being able to tap into a, a global team who I know very well and have helped to uh, set up all of those other locations as well. So they've got a lot of expertise that we can draw on around the clock whenever something comes up for our customers. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting as well what you see overnight in Australia and then what that flow-on effect might look like in other markets in that below the sun. Just to turn to you, can you just give us an overview? What does your day look like? What does your team do? Tell me about the role and the unit. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So in terms of the AFP's Cybercrime Operations Command, really our mission is to work collaboratively with our domestic and international partners to not only enhance Australia's cyber capabilities, but to try and create a high-risk, hostile environment for cyber criminals, both onshore and offshore. And I guess the way we think about our work is sort of under five initiatives, and that's our high-end cybercrime investigations, the coordination of the national response to high-volume cybercrime, obviously building our partnerships both internationally and domestically, prevention and awareness raising with industry and the community around cyber threats, and then the cyber capability uplift within our cybercrime unit, but also within the AFP more broadly and within our partners. In terms of how we're structured in cybercrime operations, we have cybercrime operations investigation teams around the country in Sydney, Melbourne and Canberra. We also have a complement co-located out at the Australian Cyber Security Centre. So on any given day, our cybercrime investigation teams are investigating a range of cybercrimes from ransomware, business email compromise, intrusions, data theft, things of that nature. Our team out at the ACSC is involved in work with the Cybersecurity Centre, looking at incidents as they're reported into the centre, and we triage and assess some of those incidents, looking at is there matters in there that require criminal investigation that we can bring into the AFP or work with our partners in the State and Territory Police to investigate those matters. So there's a range, I guess, of activities we're doing there, both at the Cybersecurity Centre and sort of from the criminal investigation perspective within our teams in the AFP. A lot of the things that you mentioned around prevention and awareness and capability uplift, I'd be keen to know that there's been a number of recent announcements, um, notably the Prime Minister Scott Morrison a few weeks ago, the press conference. How do those types of discussions when they're elevated help you in your roles, both of you, in terms of making sure that you're really able to make sure that those conversations about prevention and awareness and capability are being had with the right people. Does that make a difference to making sure that it's a priority from a business and organisation perspective? Yeah, so the announcement that Scott Morrison made, certainly we're very much tactically involved with the ACSC ongoing. So I don't think it's really a surprise to a lot of the teams sort of working in this space that sort of activity is ongoing. But certainly once those sort of major incidents are announced, there's, there's a lot of introspective going back and looking, you know, did we, are we sure we double-checked everything for our customers? Have they been breached in some sort of fashion? So there's quite a strong relationship with the, with the ACSC there, I think they do a really good job 
of pushing out a lot of that to organizations like you know, managed services providers who provide a lot of cybersecurity services for government customers or enterprise customers in Australia. And there's a strong history of, of, of doing that over time. I guess probably where we need to, to work on is a bit more of a two-way flow of information. So when there's a push out from ACSC, you know, how can we get that back in and build that bigger picture across the economy? And I think from the AFP perspective, you've obviously highlighted that there's been a lot of public statements, both from government, but also from the AFP commissioner recently in his press club address about the importance of cyber. And it really is a sort of front and center in thinking at the moment. Certainly within the AFP, we've recognized and responded to the expanding cyber threat, establishing cyber crime as an area of focus in 2020 and beyond. So within the AFP investigations function, we have five priorities and cyber crime is, is a standalone priority and one of the five. So I think it is really important to be front of mind, both in terms of, I guess, resourcing for us and the activities we do, but also with that engagement with the public about the cyber threat that is there. And I think we really are focused on leveraging the prevention and awareness campaigns that are run out of the ACSC, both for industry and for the community about what are the key threats we're seeing, what are the steps that the public can take to protect themselves. And I think there is, you know, a bit of a good news story there in the sense that Whilst the cyber threat is real and can have devastating impacts to industry and to individuals, there are a range of things that people can do to protect themselves. And so I think having more awareness and consciousness around cyber crime as a threat for the community and for industry, I think helps us raise the awareness of those threats and, and really highlight what people can do to protect themselves. I've seen some great simulation of a, a phishing Kind of mechanism from the ACSC the other day, which was really timely. It wrapped in a lot of uh, even SMS around COVID results and uh, very clever, very good, and really, I guess, trying to help people understand exactly what they're, they're looking out for with the volume of information. And I think it's a good point you've made just about around COVID-19. So certainly what we see with cyber criminals is they're very agile and they respond to changes in the environment. So with the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously it's, it's very topical. It's front of mind for a lot of people. So we have seen the criminals pivot to COVID-19 themed cybercrime. So that's the phishing campaigns, the emails and the SMS messages with that COVID-19 theme. It may be something saying, you know, for your COVID-19 test, please click this link to organize an appointment, which is a malicious site that might try and harvest their personal information or malicious emails relating to the COVID-19 stimulus measures, government assistance measures, which again is all designed to try and trick and fool people into responding to that email, either following a link to a malicious site that might harvest their information, their personal details or their account login details, or deploy malware on their device, which again is around sort of stealing information and or intellectual property. It's a good point that, that Chris raises there around the, the change in, in tactics to take advantage of you know, latest current global events. We see that quite frequently. As you may be aware, Corey, the Verizon issues the data breach investigations report on an annual basis to sort of track a lot of you know, what's going on in the environment. And we just recently issued an update given the events of the past couple of months on COVID-19 and its impact on the data sets that we see around data breaches and incidents. And I just recall one of the, the graphs there that sort of show the monitoring of dark web activity and the, the types of conversations and chatter that happens. And definitely in that April, uh, particularly March, April, May timeframe, there's significant uptick in mentions of you know, COVID and coronavirus amongst the criminal underground. It is very interesting. And I think it probably goes to that sort of social engineering element where the, if there's any sort of heightened fear, anxiety or stress, and people might be thinking differently and not thinking things through in the same way that they might otherwise. And I guess that goes to an example just that happened in our office this morning when 
there's the managing director of one of the companies. We got an email from the, a team assistant requesting, can you do this for me with a link? Now, that's a fairly recent role that that person had been assigned, but somehow whoever had developed that phishing attack had understood that there was a hierarchy there and how to try and mobilise an activity with the senior person asking something of a junior person. So that is incredibly time intensive. So you would expect that there's an element of AI being worked there from an offensive perspective. Is that something that you're seeing more of? Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, Corey. There's a lot of information that can be obtained through reconnaissance activities. In fact, I'm doing a subject on forensic investigations for my master's degree. So I was putting a plug to my uh, my lecturer and that constable there. So there's a lot of public information that's available, but increasingly, and be interested for Chris to comment here, a lot of the organized crime groups who are running these are very sophisticated to the point where they nearly have their own managed services environments set up to, hey, my malware's not working. What can I change to, to get it working at this organization? So they can be quite organised in how they're rolling out these sort of campaigns. Yeah, and I think um, I would certainly echo those comments. We are seeing cybercrime as a service is obviously a key challenge for us in Australia. And and exactly, you know, these these sort of tools that are used to set up phishing campaigns or SMS phishing campaigns, they can be provided by cybercrime service providers online. And as Prescott suggested, you know, even with help desks and support provided to those software tools. So we absolutely see that as a challenge. And I think, Corey, just picking up on your point about the email, from our perspective in the AFP, one of the key sort of national cyber threats that we see is what we call business email compromise. And so what occurs there is the compromise of a, a legitimate email, an email account that might belong to a particular company. So for instance, the CEO's email account may be compromised by criminals, then seemingly legitimate emails will be sent by from that account to, for instance, the financial area saying, can you please make payment or can you pay this invoice or can you direct funds to be sent to a particular bank account, which is obviously illegitimate and fraudulent, and then that money's sent and stolen. But the initial compromise of that email account, whether it's through the deployment of malware, whether that's through a, a phishing campaign where the credentials to that email account have been stolen and then used to log in and use that email account. But we do see the business email compromise is certainly one of the key threats facing Australia at the moment and you know significant losses incurred to industry and individuals through that. It's interesting you say that. It'd be good to bring that back to the DBIR that you mentioned earlier, Prescott, the data breach investigation report that I believe the AFP has participated in this year and in previous years, which is probably the most comprehensive global research available when it comes to sort of tracking some of the patterns in cybersecurity. And there seems to be a trend away from what you might have seen of like smash and grab where people were taking you know, credit card details and the dark web that you would sell a certain amount of you know, information from credit cards or other personal information. And I'm sure that still happens, but it seems like you were saying just then, Chris, that there's a lot of time going into really kind of nurturing and understanding high strategic attacks on people where their pockets are a lot deeper. It might take longer, but ultimately more successful from a return on time investment. Is that what you would see across the DBIR? I'd love both of your thoughts on those trends. Yeah, so I'll jump in there first, Corey. And the DBR, as you mentioned, has quite an extensive data set. I'm really pleased to have AFP as a contributor this year and also our government of Victoria as well. So it's really great to get that localised data set. And yeah, the, the top attacks that we see across that report are still typically the phishing, the business email compromise, misdelivery and misconfiguration are increasingly growing. But coming back to it, 86% of the breaches through the report found to be financially motivated in some form. 
and, and this is really, really where the organised crime is making a go at it. And to your point about the the sort of smash and grab, you know, they're continually evolving how they're trying to infiltrate organisations and make profit from it. More recently, we've seen a lot of campaigns where a typical ransomware investigation is really to motivate that organization to pay up a ransom. But increasingly, they're also exfiltrating information and they're storing that elsewhere to be used as further leverage down the track. And I'm afraid that that trend is going to continue. And there's a lot of organizations like that that have a lot of really sensitive, useful information for, for attackers that could be used to correlate against sensitive targets that they've obtained information from other means as well. So it's definitely a challenge. And certainly from the AFP perspective, one point to really highlight here is the importance of our work with industry, with key industry players such as Verizon, and there's a range of other industry players from both cybersecurity industry, the telecommunications industry, the banking sector. And it's really important our engagement with those sectors that they have a really key part of the puzzle for us in terms of understanding the cyber threat. And certainly to your question, Corey, around are we seeing a little more targeting in some of the cyber crimes we're seeing as opposed to the traditional sort of smash and grab all the the scattergun approach to crime. I think the certainly in a number of engagements I've had with industry that the trend does seem to be more towards the targeted attacks with a slightly higher return rather than sort of the scattergun out there. But, you know, again, just really highlighting that point that the industry engagement for us is really, really key. And, you know, we do that directly through a number of our operations and we've had some recent success over the last 12 months working with industry to identify threats and then take action against the actors and then the criminal networks behind those that offending. Um, and also the work we do out at the Australian Cybersecurity Centre with our partners there, which is a key uh, sort of coordination point for cyber in Australia. It's also, it's really interesting in the, the latest COVID update for the data breach investigations report, the data breaches are not always cyber either. I think it was highlighted in the report that there was a loss at a healthcare provider in the US of records due to a tornado hitting the facility and yeah, paperwork ending up everywhere. So there's a number of different means that we need to look out for in how we secure records and stop them being breached. There's been a number of higher profile attacks, if you like, in Australia this year particularly. And there seems to be, and this is just a winging it here, but there seems to be a major attack, there's a ransomware demand, and then there seems to be a secondary attack. I'm just wondering if part of that kind of process is once the initial damage has been done, then those organisations are more vulnerable to a secondary attack. Is that either of you have any that's completely anecdotal from what I've read in the media, but just wondering if that seems to be a, a pattern or a theme? Yeah, certainly we see that once an organisation has been compromised, there's a couple of ways that can progress from there. Number one is that they may be not quite across all the remediation actions that need to take place. So a breach can often indicate there's a poor information security practice happening and just that one avenue has been caught, but then down the track, another one. Or there could be other competing groups for the same resource utilising the same infrastructure as well. So This brings me back to that role, you know, connectivity role between all of the different parties that organisation that's been attacked, the role of the AFP, the role of industry, the ACSC, there's obviously going to be a legal team involved, there's a communications element in terms of who needs to know what, when, how do we disclose to stakeholders. There's probably best practice and not as good practice. What would be the considerations in terms of helping an organisation that's come and said we've had terrible things happened, how do we move from here to one, stop a subsequent type of attack and two, you know, mitigate the kind of loss and impact to the business and its stakeholders? Any overview of what you'd like to see more of in the way that we're responding? 
So look, in terms of when it comes to cybersecurity incidents and the damage that flows from that, I think prevention is, is always going to be better than cure. And so we touched on earlier the, the importance of raising awareness about the cyber threat and the different elements sitting within that. And then also trying to highlight the steps that industry and individuals can take to protect themselves. And so resources such as cyber.gov.au and ACSC puts out the essential eight, which is things that people can do to protect their networks. And we talk about ransomware where your files might be encrypted and you, you're denied access to them. You know, if you've got backup files that are regularly maintained and are, are stored separately, then you know, you're less vulnerable to the flow and effects of a ransomware attack. So there's steps that you can take up front to prevent yourself being a victim of cybercrime to start with, but also to reduce the damage if you are the victim of that activity. And then when it comes to individuals and even within companies, it's about building that good security culture. So people are aware of the types of threats that are out there, but also what a phishing email might look like, what an SMS phishing attack might look like. They're alive to the fact that, you know, if they receive an email from the CEO asking for transfers into iTunes accounts, that that's probably not going to be legitimate. So things of that nature. So it's building that, that good security culture within the organization and then looking to things that you can do around the sorts of applications you're using, where you're storing your data and things of that nature just to sort of really protect yourself online. Because as I said, prevention is definitely better than cure in this, in this area. Yeah, and I think Chris hit on a really good point there. It's a lot of the vigilance and awareness is key, educating all the stakeholders in an organisation to look out for these types of events. Now, just yesterday, we had an incident on one of our networks where it triggered a security incident, but at the same time, the network team are saying, hey, you know, there's, there's something a little bit unusual going on here. It turned out to be a false positive, but it's just it's nice to see all the different IT departments working hand in hand to look out for this sort of suspicious activity. I'm just curious, Chris, in a smaller organisation, they might not have the resources resources to throw at an incident like this, how do they go about engaging AFP to provide some assistance here? Yeah, sure. So when we talk about a cybersecurity incident, the first port of call there would be the Australian Cybersecurity Centre in terms of some advice about response to that particular incident and advice in relation to remediation and how you might go about recovering from that incident. And then from there, the AFP could become involved at that point. Generally, our sorts of considerations are around evidence collection, particularly during that remediation process. It's really important, oftentimes in the in the rush to sort of remediate the network and fix the problem, you may destroy evidence that we need to progress a criminal investigation. So those evidential considerations up front as part of the incident response are really important. And then from there, remediate the network, getting things back up and running. And then obviously we would keep going with our criminal investigation from that point. So I think in terms of a cybersecurity incident, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre was really set up and is there for business of all sizes and, and public in terms of the advice about the response and remediation in response to a cybersecurity incident. The AFP, we're co-located out there. Obviously, if you're the victim of a crime and unauthorised access to a computer and modification of data are crimes, both at Commonwealth and state level. So you're able to report that to police. And I guess there's an important point here just around sort of the AFP's role within cyber and very much our mandate is cyber crimes against the Commonwealth government, against critical infrastructure and systems of national significance or matters that impact on the whole of Australian economy. Whereas generally the states and territories, their police are more focused on the crimes against individuals and potentially some of the small and medium sized businesses that are out there. That critical infrastructure piece, I think we're more acutely aware of what that means. And we start talking about more connectivity, more IoT, 
that changes, I guess, that risk profile. And from a critical infrastructure perspective, exactly how important that is. I'd expect that there's greater awareness of exactly what that kind of threat landscape looks like now. Would you say from a maturity perspective, we understand where we could potentially vulnerable or we still have a long way to go when we're talking about some of those bigger picture pieces? To, to both of you, I'd be keen for your thoughts. Look, I think there is a real awareness around the importance of critical infrastructure, not only to our economic well-being, but also to our national interests. The COVID pandemic has highlighted the importance of the health sector, for instance, in, as part of the COVID response. And so, the, you know, the need to ensure that we've got the right cybersecurity posture across those critical sectors. So, look, I think there's certainly awareness within government about the importance of critical infrastructure to the nation, to our national interest, and the need to protect that. I think in terms of maturity, it's an ongoing conversation. Obviously, its significance is recognised going back to the cybersecurity strategy from 2016. We're in the process of refreshing that strategy at the moment, and government's announced that the cybersecurity strategy 2020 is coming. And so I think an important component of that is, you know, how do we work together? Because I think there's a recognition that there's definitely a role for government to play and a very important role for government to play when it comes to cybersecurity. But it really is a, a partnership and a collective responsibility across industry and the community in terms of how we protect ourselves and protect our national assets. Prescott, I might ask you, just coming back to the 2020 cybersecurity strategy that is pending, going back to the 2016 strategy, I think Malcolm Turnbull used the phrase offensive in relation to cyber for the first time, which really started to change the discussion about what we're talking about. And I think four years later, offensive and defensive capability and much more defence-like languages we're used to hearing in cyber terms. How important are these strategies from a vendor or industry perspective in terms of translating and working hand-in-glove with government to start focusing in partnership? Definitely. As part of the 2016 cybersecurity strategy, one of the key platforms for industry engagement was setting up the Joint Cybersecurity Centre construct. And that's been progressively rolled out over the, the last couple of years. I think that's very successful from a Verizon perspective. We engage with the JCSC, particularly in Canberra here, on a, on a regular basis. And they host a number of forums that sort of bring together people to discuss at a quite detailed level what's going on. So that's been really great and look forward to continuing that. I think another really important thing to note from that strategy is the establishment of you know, cyber to try and build a, a better, more capable Australian industry around cyber security and promote a lot of local companies going on with great ideas and being able to use those across the wider economy. So uh, the work that Michelle Price and the team do over there is, is fantastic to try and grow that capability for Australia finish on this because it flows nicely from the conversation with Michelle Price and MJ Salia from Verizon last week that talked about global capability and frameworks and regulations and how we run businesses and organisations globally and exactly what sovereign capability looks like in terms of growing our own cyber talent, which of course is where Michelle's focus has been. And I guess from your perspective, both of you have an international component to your role. So Chris, you are really working with partners on making sure we're talking about borderless activity. Again, Prescott, in terms of insights and patterns and working with your colleagues, just as a way to sort of wrap up the conversation, how, from a global perspective, what's happening right now? What can we do better? And what should we be looking forward to? So definitely there's a lot that has been done and there's a lot of good work going on. I think the data breach investigation report called out the fact that a lot of organizations are really getting on top of patching critical infrastructure uh, to, to Chris's point earlier. And that definition of critical infrastructure has changed over time through this crisis. 
So some of those attack vectors are sort of drying up. And I think the really key part is around continuing to roll out user awareness programs and make sure everyone's being vigilant around cybersecurity. I think we can really make a difference focusing in those areas. And I think obviously we've been building over the last four years from the 2016 cybersecurity strategy, the ACSC construct is a really good sort of central coordination point for cyber in Australia. And you know, the AFP is obviously a, a contributor there and we work very closely with our partners out at the ACSC, looking at the, at the cyber threat and engaging with industry and really looking to share information. So we'll continue to mature that, I think, in terms of what to look forward to. I think that the 2020 cybersecurity strategy will be a step forward for Australia in terms of our cybersecurity posture and how we can continue to build and mature the interactions between industry, uh, between government and the community on cybersecurity and how we can educate about the threat and help people to protect themselves online. That seems like a nice place to leave this discussion. I want to thank you both for your time. It's been it's been a great discussion. So Commander Chris Goldsmith, the Cybercrime Operations Commander for the AFP, and Prescott Pym, Verizon's Global Managed Security Services Solutions. Thank you so much for both of your time and look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you. No worries. Thanks a lot, Corey. Thanks, Prescott. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Chris. We hope you enjoyed this special Verizon Age of Trust podcast. For more, keep tuning in to Innovation Oz podcast or go to verizon.com.